Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Everything is Fine podcast. I am your host, Sean Wilson. And I'm your host, Matt Ebersol. And this week, we have a very special guest, and we are tackling a very special topic. We are continuing our Marvel Deep Dive series, and today we'll be discussing Ooh. Phase 2. Our guest will be on shortly, but before that time, we have just a bit of housekeeping and news to take care of. Uh, as you, as most of you have been paying attention to the upload schedule, last week was not Marvel. Uh, last week was the first of the How Are Yous little segments we decided to do in each other's off weeks, just to help mitigate our busy summer schedules with all the work we're doing. Uh, I performed last week, and I gave you my analysis on pop culture slash fiction's greatest postal delivery systems uh, to... I think much success. Uh, that was very fun to edit and very fun to do the research for. The Google document was a nightmare, uh, but um, we had that episode last week, uh, and next yeah. week I believe Matt is going, if you want to tease us a little bit about what you're planning on doing. Yeah, well first I want to comment on uh, Sean's How Are You. Um, it was it was really, it, it was not what I was expecting, because we are giving each other complete creative freedom on this, so I was not involved in the process of Sean making his, and nor will he be involved in mine. We're giving each other total independence with these, because these are solo projects. We get a week off, or at least once does. Uh, but I want to congratulate Sean. That was a great uh, kickoff to the series. Very interesting uh, concept. I had When he first pitched the idea to me, I was like, I'm really not sure what you mean by that but then when he started <laughs> explaining sure it to me and he and he started explaining it to me and he started thinking like well what if i did this and this and this I'm like actually you can make something really interesting about that so i want to congratulate you that was a great first episode Thank uh you. mine i don't want to give it away completely but as many of you know in my if you're friends with me in real life and you know me in real life you know i'm a massive uh sports fan and specifically, I'm a huge New York Mets fan, uh, the baseball team in the MLB. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly what it's going to be about, but baseball is going to be a major talking point of my first How Are You, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm very excited to share with you uh, what I have planned, um, and I'm very giddy thinking about it because it's something that I've been eagerly waiting for. Um but yeah, it's it's going to be baseball related. Uh, it's not like, you know, the MLB. It's not a Mets episode. I'll say that. Um, but be on the lookout. It's going to be fun. And I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it. And I hope you all enjoy it. So next week, uh, that will be what? Sunday, June, what? 28th, I think? Uh, I believe. 27th. 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 Yeah. So Sunday, June 27th, uh, my first How Are You will be released. And I hope you listen and enjoy it. But for today, as we said, we're back on the main podcast schedule. We're doing phase two. We're continuing our series that we started two weeks ago. Um, and yeah, but before we get into that, obviously, as always, we have uh, news of, I guess, the past two weeks, although we're going to try to keep it as recent as we can. Uh, we are recording this about two days before release, so if there's anything that happened either the day of or the day before the day this is posted, we apologize. We were not recording at the time when that happened. But Sean, uh, take it away with your headlines for the episode. I will. And just before I do, I do want to say, uh, on the topic of your How Are You, I know that we normally don't cover sports here, but I will say uh, Matt's idea really has some interesting implications to it. And I, not even being that big of a sports fan, am very excited for this. So please give that a listen, even though it's a, a bit of a departure from theme. I think that it's going to be a fantastic bit of work that Matt's going to put out. But with today's headlines... Thanks, buddy. 
I'm, I'm going to advertise it. Of course I am. Um, with today's headlines, uh, a bit of a weird kind of smattering across all avenues of it, of what I have. Uh, first things first, there has been talk in an interview that uh, was conducted with James Gunn very recently where he expressed the interesting desire to see however convoluted it may be, he thinks it would be very gold to do an MCU-DCU crossover film of some kind, given now that the MCU plays around with the multiverse a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's in the works, but he said that he would find it very interesting to do something along the lines of bringing the two sets of heroes together for a one-off of some kind. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that scares me or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is... The the new Suicide Squad movie looks really interesting, and I'm interested to see what he can bring to that. Um, I mean, it's... I feel like it's kind of a fever dream. I, 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 don't, I don't know if it's ever actually going to happen. I feel like it's just James Gunn saying, oh, maybe. I mean... Could it happen? Absolutely, because the way that Hollywood works now, anything is possible, because we just saw, you know, we've seen so many blockbuster movies and blockbuster franchises over the past decade plus, so I don't I don't um, say that nothing is possible, because obviously anything is in the movie industry nowadays, but I don't know, I mean, would I see it? Absolutely. Would it be good? That's another story. Yeah. Um, but James Gunn has a fantastic vision with these superhero films that I would trust him at least to deliver a product that is uh, at least enjoyable. Um, it's just a matter of if it's necessary because I feel like Marvel's doing fine on its own. I feel like DCEU is actually starting to maybe get some traction with the Snyder Cut. I think people are starting to get more into it, but who knows if they're even going to continue past that. I, I have no idea. Um yeah, it, it, interesting story though. That's that's uh, something to definitely talk about. I personally almost want this to stay a fever dream because the tones and the and power levels of both sets of media are both ridiculously in the opposite directions. I kind of don't want to see one be polluted by the other or one raise the expectations in a in a bad way only to be met with disappointment for the other. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But that's that. I was I figured that would be worth putting on everyone's radar. Um, no, totally, yeah. IGN recently came out and gave its official review of the new Pixar film, Luca. Uh, and they said, they, they gave it a 7 out of 10, and they said that it was a, a wonderful summer movie. Uh, although the strangeness and uniqueness of the animation style does take away from it from them. Uh, and <laughs> if, it, 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 they said that it felt like one of their more simplistic Pixar films, which Pixar can do anything good, but uh, I think we've come to expect this level of creativity and deeper meaning from Pixar films that this summer romp, uh, at least in IGN's eyes, was worthy of a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I think... uh, Yeah, this movie is not one of those premiere access movies on Disney+. Plus. Like, you can just watch it, which I love, because the premiere access is really annoying in the sense you have to pay 30 extra dollars to watch a movie that you could just wait three months and watch it for free. Luca right now is free to watch on Disney+, Plus, which I think is awesome. Uh, to, piggy- to piggyback off IGN's review, uh, everyone else is also kind of in that boat. Uh, IMDB, which is all user ratings, uh, there's only a couple thousand so far because the movie literally just came out the day that we're recording this. Um, but right now it has a 7.9 out of 10. 
based off of user reviews. And on Metacritic, it has a 71 out of 100. So they're all hovering around that 7-ish out of 10 range, which is very good. If someone were to make give a movie that I made a 7 out of 10, I'd be thrilled. Um, but I do agree that Pixar, unfortunately, we hold them to a higher standard now just because of how good they've been for so long. So if they make a mediocre movie, we somehow, like... We have it programmed to be like not good enough you know we always we always ask for more um i am though very happy now this is the third straight pixar movie if i'm not mistaken to be wholly original and i love that yes. they're not they're 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 drive they're going away from sequels they're building new franchises and they're building new ideas because we had onward and now we and then we had soul now we have luca we have three straight original content um original movies with new content and if this continues to track as i really liked onward and i really liked soul and apparently this is really good we're gonna have three straight really good original movies so maybe this is what pixar needs maybe they need to start branching away from the sequels uh, and if you want to learn more about Pixar and its long, illustrious history, feel free to check out our second episode of season one <laughs> where we talk about Pixar. Shameless plugging is shameless, Matt. Um, <laughs> moving on from Pixar. Uh, so last weekend was E3. And a lot of people went into E3 with high expectations and high hopes of hearing some things about their favorite games franchises and some new projects that are getting uh, brought up. And with the games industry in a weird spot right now, um, I'm sure that, that everyone had different sets of opinions. Some notable things that came out of the E3 showcase across most of the brands. Um, Breath of the Wild 2 was announced. Uh, its title was kept a secret for fear of it spoiling events of the game itself, which, why would you do that in the title of a game? Um, but it's been re it's been announced, it's happening. It's happening uh, in, I believe it was in 2024? I could be wrong. Mm. But, um, Breath of the Wild 2? Uh, Metroid has gotten its next installment after nearly, I believe, 15 years? Uh, Metroid, yeah, that, that's big. Metroid Dread, and it looks amazing. Uh, I'm not even yeah, the no, hugest that, Metroid that, fan, and I'm excited for Metroid Dread. Uh, but Metroid Dread, yeah, that, yeah, that should be really good. Um, again, not a huge fan of Metroid, but I have respect for those games, and I know that the fan base has been waiting for a new game for a very, very long time. So good for them. Yeah, very good for them. Uh, they have also announced Mario Party Superstars, and it is a remastering of some of the greatest mini-games, and a remastering of some of the most fan-favorite boards across that's the entirety cool. of the fra of the franchise. So that's, that's going to cool. be really cool to see. Uh, it's going to be old-school rules, it's going to be old-school boards, and old-school mini-games. So just a mix of the wow. greatest hits. I'm very excited. That's really that. cool. I like um, that. We also had... Uh, our next Smash character announced, and I think that no one wanted this guy. Not saying that it was a, it was like people hated it, but I, for one, certainly can think of zero people who wanted or guessed that this would be our next Smash Pass fighter. Um, and it only fills me with dread for the characters I wanted to make it. But Kazuya from Tekken uh, made it into Smash, and. I've played the Tekken games. They're another 2D Japanese-style fighter. Um, and I think that no one cared about Ryu, so why the hell did people think they were going to care about Kazuya? I don't understand. Mm. Um, is not even a central character of Tekken. He's kind of just a, a, a character's grandfather you play as in one game. Um, 
or not grandfather, father, that you play in one game. And I, I was just, it's such a weird choice to me that I'm just not excited. I don't care. I'm still waiting for Crash, Spyro, or Sora. I'm just, I'm saying that. I now. Well, think, yeah, I thought because isn't there only one left? Like, wasn't this the last one? Or I go, or there's is that one not more. There's one more left, and given that they're all humanoid fighting game characters, my hope of Sora has mostly gone out the window. And I'm sad about that because if anyone deserves it, it should be Sora. Um, well, I mean, I, I was looking on Twitter because I also saw that it was Kazuya, and I was like, interesting, because I I was hoping it would be Crash. That's the yeah. one that I really really wanted because Crash Bandicoot is um, a franchise that my brother played all of those games, and I always enjoyed watching him play them. And then I also dabbled in some of. The, I never really got into like the many of the mainline games, but all like the spinoff ones, like those were. Like loads of fun. Spyro, I actually played also a good amount as well, so he would have been really cool too. But the one Twitter was hoping and praying, but I knew it would never happen because it almost seems too good to be true. Was Chief, but that's never gonna happen. Yeah, I, I will. I will be shocked if Master Chief, does, if Master Chief ends up in Smash Brothers, then I'll do a How Are You on like something really really stupid. Like I don't know what, but like I'll 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 throw that out there. I think it is almost impossible that Master Chief ends up in Smash Brothers. I really I really don't think it's going to happen. I I sadly will say the same sentiments about Sora at this point. We've seen nothing but humanoid fighting game characters and we don't care about half of them. And they've also used up like three slots from a Square Enix property. So they're not going to get another one on there cuz then they'll just be accused of corporate favoritism. I think Sora might have been killed off at this point, which is frustrating because yeah. I don't care about any of the Smash Pass characters at all, really. Um, so yeah, and Steve. I mean, Steve was interesting. I thought it was a joke when I first saw that. I'm like, that's cute. <laughs> who's the real fighter? No, seriously, who's the real <laughs> fighter? Um, and then there was Steve. I don't why Steve. Oh, that also, is the real. Fighter. It also looks so weird when you look at the lineup. You have like Min Min. You have Pira, uh, whatever her name is from uh, Xenoblade. Uh, you have Kazuya now, and then you just have Steve from Minecraft. I'm like, what? Why? Why are you here? This is the wrong room, sir. Um, but you have, yeah, you have that. So I'm really just kind of hoping that Crash makes it on the final slot, because that's the most likely, I think, most reasonable at this point. So, yeah. But there's that. Um, that's mostly all of my E3 notable things. A lot of Nintendo. But, um... Uh, final, uh, no, no, I've got two headlines left, sorry. Uh, currently, right now, uh, and granted, by the time this video goes live, the submissions will be over, but Wizards of the Coast is running the Ultimate Dungeon Masters Challenge at this current moment. Uh, it began yesterday, for, well, for us, yesterday was Thursday the 17th of June, and competitors had from noon Pacific time till noon on Sunday Pacific time to submit a challenge to Wizards of the Coast as a large pool of entries. The challenge is to create a complex trap using the rules and regulations from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Approved traps that, of, uh, that gain attention of the judges will be submitted into a contestant's lineup. And then starting next month on July 17th, all contestants that are gathered, which will be 10 contestants, are going to be 
given a weekly task to complete and submit back to Wizards to further build upon a theme based off of the trap or whatever regulations they put out by that time. And the final three competitors in late August will be given the opportunity to DM for three judges who are select employees from Wizards of the Coast. And the greatest game experience, based off of a list of criteria from the three Dungeon Masters who make it that far, will be given the trophy and title of World's Greatest Dungeon Master, and will be given a host of Wizards of the Coast Dungeon Masters products and prizes. So, that is a very interesting thing. I've debated uh, submitting, but I'm not entirely sure I want to commit to the weekly challenges with how busy I will be going farther for the back half of the summer. I mean, you might as well just be speaking a different language, because all that just went over my head. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, there is an opportunity for any Dungeon Master out there to prove that they are the best of the best in every aspect okay. of the game. And Wizards all is right. offering a very hefty title and amount, a large amount of prizes to the DM that can make it. So, gotcha. Uh, gotcha. granted, whoever is listening to this on Sunday, the window will be closed, but it'll provide a good show going forward, because they will be doing D, uh, D&D live showcases every week starting in the middle of July, showcasing the progress of the contestants. Gotcha. Alright, and what is your last headline, sir? My final headline is a list. Uh, we have received the list of the Hollywood Walk of Fame class of 2022. And I'll just quickly uh, rattle it, off the names. Read it off. Yep, here we go. <clears throat> in no particular order, it is Carrie Fisher, Ewan McGregor, Willem Dafoe, Michael B. Jordan, Salma Hayek, Tessa Thompson, Macaulay Culkin, Regina King, Bob Odenkirk, Ray Liotta, Jason Momoa, Ming-Na Wen, I'm sorry if I butchered that, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Norman Reedus, Keenan Thompson, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Ricky Gervais. Okay, there's a lot of people on that list that I'm shocked they don't already have one. I know, like, right? How, does Fra- how, does, how the hell does Francis Ford Coppola not have a star? He how did Carrie the- Fisher not have a star? Godfather. And Carrie Fisher, yeah. The one that makes you really excited is Bob Odenkirk. As a huge Breaking Bad fan, that makes me very happy because he uh, he played Saul Goodman on that show and he was fantastic. And he's in, obviously in Better Call Saul now. Yeah. That one makes me happy. Norman Reedus Macaulay makes Culkin, me obviously. Too. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin, um, obviously the kid from Home Alone. If for those of you who do not know, he played Kevin. Uh, Ewan McGregor, Obi Wan, Michael B. Jordan played. Uh, um, he was in Creed. He was in uh, Black Panther. That's a good. That's a good list of people. A but honestly, a lot. of... A lot of them, I'm like, they don't already have one? That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's kind of crazy. But that is our Hollywood Walk of Fame class of 2022. It is a good like lineup. It. And I will even go so far as uh, uh, the list was posted by Fandom. One of the first one of the first reportings of the list was posted by Fandom. Uh, and the cover shot they used for the list was uh, Carrie Fisher as young uh, Leia. So that was really nice tribute that they did to her. They, she is the she is the top of the class. Uh, no matter what list you see, she's always the top of the class. Very nice. So while while nice. you are while you are while you are here for the news, you are also here for phase two, and we're getting there because it seems as if our guest is ready. So uh, I believe. Uh, well, thank you for that. Thank you for those headlines, Sean. Um, those were a lot of fun. But now it's time to get into phase two, and I think we are ready to let our guest in. So let's uh, let's do that. Let's welcome Megan into the show. And now on to today's main topic, where we are joined by a close friend of mine from high school, back before college even began. I'd like to introduce everyone to my dear old friend Megan. Uh, Megan, please tell us a little bit about yourself and why are you here? Hi, uh, I'm Megan. As stated, um, I pers- I personally love Marvel 
so so much i got into it maybe 2017 2018 i watched all the movies in order i think i finally picked up uh watching them in in theaters around black panther and just i you know i've always I've, i've always loved them um a little bit about myself i go to the university of delaware I'm majoring in, <laughs> well, I've decided to stop telling people my actual major because it opens room for discussion that I don't want to have, but I'm majoring <laughs> in political science. Um, and yeah, I'm very excited to be here today. And we're excited to have you. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. And so, with all the introductions out of the way, we begin with Marvel Phase 2. And a good start for phase two as well we began with the third iron man film in 2013 yeah i mean it was uh coming off of the avengers they didn't release any other movies for another year after it avengers came out in may of 2012 and iron man came out in may of 2013 so they took their sweet time with developing phase two uh i actually just recently re-watched iron man 3 this week because i hadn't seen it in admittedly a very very long time and I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. It's actually, like, it's a lot better than I remember it being. I'm sure y'all have thoughts. <laughs> of course. Megan, your thoughts? I haven't quite watched Iron Man 3 in a bit, from, but from what I do remember, I I, I've, I always hear that it's the least, least liked Iron Man. I personally liked all the Iron Mans. I didn't really have a favorite in that sense, but Iron Man 3 was, was pretty solid. I liked... I liked how they were able to um, kind of give Pepper a good plotline in there. True, I did like the uh, the Pepper Potts kind of like independent subplot that did like weave its way through the movie. Yeah, um, my I have like I I enjoy this movie. I re- again I just recently watched it, so it's very fresh in my brain. I have two main problems with it, though, and it kind of is what brings it down. Well, first, here's a plot. Here's a positive. I do enjoy Tony in this movie. I think he's really, really well developed, and I think that even though everyone always gets mad at the fact that he's not Iron Man that much, I feel like this movie's very important for his character going forward. Especially when you get into like Ultron and Civil War, it shows like that boiling sense of guilt inside of him, and that's what propels him to make Ultron and then Civil War and everything. My two biggest issues, though, one is the Mandarin t- twist. I still don't like it after all these years. Uh, it just doesn't work for me, especially since that villain is so awesome in the comics, and they kind of just turned him into a punchline. And then the villain that's actually there instead of the Mandarin, I didn't like, so it's not even like they replaced him with a great villain. He's just kind of a meh antagonist, and basically he's Syndrome from The Incredibles in the sense that he was shamed by Tony Stark 15 years ago, and now he's a villain again trying to get revenge. Same exact character. Wasn't done well. And then the other thing I don't like about it is that this movie feels so inconsequential by the ending, because the ending is like, oh, Tony's giving up being Iron Man, and he blows up all the suits, and he is moving on. But then the very next time we see him in Age of Ultron, he's Iron Man again, and it's like they retcon the entire ending of this movie. Which is really, really weird, because it's actually a really impactful ending that means nothing in the long run. So, those are my two main problems with the movie. Overall, though, I think the script is actually really funny. I think it's actually a really well-made film. Uh, But yeah, those are my two main issues. True. And for what it did, though, like, it may have had its problems, as as you mentioned. It still, if you look at its records, it proves it stands among some of the greats, at least in movie theater turnout. It made one point... 
uh, uh, one point two hundred and fifteen billion at box office. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. It crushed. It crushed. Yeah, I, I, I think it was. It, it's a, gr- it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie. I don't think it quite reaches the heights of the first Iron Man, but I think it's an improvement above two, and I think it's a good start to Phase Two of the MCU. I think it's, it's more of a self-contained film than Iron Man Two was, because in the in the previous episode I said how Iron Man Two was so scattered and was trying to do so much. I feel like this is a much more direct narrative, and there's a clear story going on. And I like Shane Black's writing and directing. I think he adds a new sense of style to the franchise, but I don't know. There's some things I still don't like, as I just previously mentioned. So I would give it a good, not great rating. Megan, your thoughts? Uh, I I think I have to agree with that one there. All right. Not the greatest movie, but a great start to Phase 2. I'll give it that. I'll agree with that. And... Well, we did have the great start that that was Iron Man 3. We immediately started worrying again, however. Uh, Thor The Dark World came out right afterwards. Uh, Thor. Oh, Thor. Back when, they, back when they still did not understand what we like about Thor and what we don't like about Thor. <sighs> Man. In, in contrast, uh, Iron Man 3 made uh, $1.215 billion at the box office. Thor The Dark World made $644 million, uh, half. Which is less. It is way less. It's half of what Iron Man 3 did. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's mostly because people just didn't really like the character of Thor yet. And that's why people weren't as excited about it. I know when I first saw the trailer for this movie, I was kind of just like... Oh, it's another Thor movie. Like I was, and it didn't look too exciting. It just kind of looked similar to the first one, and and now I guess we'll get into the movie. Villain was I think it's Malekith is the villain. So forgettable. Yeah, I mean villain. There's no good antagonistic force in this movie. The only good parts of this movie is I guess spoiler alert when Thor's mom dies. That's like a good heartbreaking scene, and also the scene where Loki fake dies is also kind of impactful but this movie is so forgettable for me i'm having a hard time honestly right now remembering megan what are your thoughts <laughs> i it's one of the one of my marvel movies where i watched it once and uh and that was about it yep I, it's, it's like the worst worst of the thor movies and i i don't know who let this movie like, go and like be a movie because that was a bad decision it's just like it's it's taking everything that we didn't about the first Thor movie because personally I didn't like I said on the first episode how they brought Thor quite literally down to earth and gave them human friends and everything like I want to see stuff going on in Asgard and while this movie does sort of like it has some because like obviously this is when we first see the reality stone this is when we first see the ether and that's really interesting. But the majority of this movie is like, you know, Thor and Jane's relationship, which I don't care about. And the villains are so forgettable. And it's just like, I, I totally 100% agree with you, Megan. It's just one of those movies that I watch and it's just like, okay. And then I, can, and then I forget about it. I never, I never have the urge to watch this movie. Yeah, I I agree with you. This is this is certainly a one and done out of the the entirety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are some great moments that that have that feel of they're trying to set up some wonderful things and make the lore of beyond Asgard seem more interesting. But we either get 
beyond Asgard or Earth. We don't get enough Asgard. The only thing this this movie really did was it, it did set up the Infinity Stones and set up Thanos and, yeah. and it you kind know, of paved the way for the rest of the, you know, like that plot line, but that's that's all it did. Yeah. Yeah. And this was still at a time where I again, people just didn't really like the character of Thor as much. I mean, now he's a complete fan favorite because of what they did with him in later movies. But at this time, he was kind of just there. And they didn't really do much to care about him yet. And I just think this movie missed the mark, unfortunately. 2013 was kind of a, a bit of a rocky start because Iron Man 3 was good, not great. And then this movie was like... Eh. Thankfully, 2014 fixed everything and we got back on track. But I don't know. Phase 2 got up to a bit of a rocky start for me. Hmm. True. Speaking of 2014, 2004? now we get in, now we get into the good movies. 2000, the good movies. 2014 saw the strangest move I think so far out of Marvel because, hear me out. We had some of the like we had the Avengers built. We had the main Avengers team built, and while they were not household names before the MCU became a thing. They became household names. Everyone knew who these characters were. And in Phase 2, we got Iron Man 3 and Thor 2. And then they made Guardians of the Galaxy. Some comic fans didn't even know who the Guardians of the Galaxy Sean, were. Sean, Sean, you forgot... Best movie. You forgot Winter Soldier, you fool. You forgot oh, Winter Soldier. My notes moved. My notes were out of order. That is mm. my fault. There it is. Sure. All right, well, I'm going to stop talking. Matt, you take it from me. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it from you, you fool. All right, so yeah, they did have the <laughs> Avengers, but they forgot one key character. Iron Man got three movies, and we're like, okay, that's enough Iron Man for now. Thor got two movies, and we're like, but Thor's kind of okay. What about Cap? The first Cap movie was really good, in my opinion. Avengers, Cap was there, but like he wasn't the focal point. He didn't get a lot of the shine. The most of that shine was on the Hulk and Iron Man and Black Widow. They were trying to use that. Cap was just he was great in that movie, but he wasn't like, oh my god, yeah, Captain America. He's a fan favorite. This is the movie that makes Captain America practically everyone's favorite character because this movie rocks. It's so good. And Megan, I know you want to talk about this one, so I'll let you take it from here. Oh my gosh. Captain America the Winter Soldier is by far my favorite Marvel movie. Now granted, it may, it, it's probably most young teenage girls' favorite movies, but for good reason, okay? <laughs> um, they just, it's so good, the plotline is so good, the fight scenes, are good. the highway fight scene is mm -hmm. just spectacular. The, the soundtrack the, the characters, the, the way that they're able to kind of do this whole government, you know, there's a, there's a bad part of the gut there's always a bad part of the government, but there's there's a secret part of the government that's that's working for the bad guys and it's just oh, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And this is uh, similarly to how Iron Man three is the one that propels Tony's arc forward. This is the movie that propels Cap's arc forward because it's the movie that shows Cap he can't just blindly be a soldier and follow orders because every single person you're going to take orders from, there's something behind 
things that you don't know about. And you can't just blindly trust people because he goes into this movie just like, yeah, all hail S.H.I.E.L.D. But then he realizes that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been corrupted for decades by HYDRA and that the entire corporation is trying to destroy the world with Project Insight and wipe out anyone that could be a potential threat. And Cap has to deal with that. And then there's also the whole arc with Bucky coming back. And this is what makes Cap character because we actually get to see him since he got out of the ice because we've only seen him in the future in the Avengers and he was just kind of there to punch people and you know be Captain America this is the first movie that we actually get to see him have a full fleshed arc since he's gotten out of the ice and it's fantastic Sean I'll let you speak on this because you've been quiet as of now yeah I've been quiet uh, trying to fix my notes uh now that they're in chronological order uh <laughs> i've forgotten the month that both had come out because they came out in the same year so but uh winter soldier does so many things right it involves the characters you didn't think needed to be as involved as heavily as they did you like you said it jump starts captain america's arc and it creates this wonderful connection between the events of the first movie back in the 40s and the events of now you get the you get hydra alive and well unexpectedly you see even the ai that was made out of a former hydra member uh like uh, zola and it's impressive to see just how much they survived and it's all because of captain america going into the ice you now see what the consequences were it wasn't just oh he got to do his thing fell on the ice and now he's here doing this thing there are results of a world without Captain America back then. And it makes you ponder what could have possibly happened. And you get some ideas way later in the universe, but you start to wonder of all the bad things Cap going to the ice creates. And it's so interesting to see the twists that you do get out of the back half of this movie. The Hydra elevator scene. Fury faking his death. Uh, it's so neat to see all of these intelligent moves that the movie does. And it's so great because even at the end, you finally understand that the Scepter has much more of a prevalence. Loki's Scepter, at the very end of the movie, has much more of a prevalence than just the Tesseract. It's part of an Infinity Stone itself. And it's so oh, yeah. it's so nice to see these clever action thriller mystery elements come together with furthering the groundwork for the extended MCU. It's a movie that hits every note perfectly, or as close to perfect as it can get. I'm so happy we agree on this. This is this is fun. Because some people think this movie is a bit, like, a tad bit overrated. And, like, I could see that. Like, maybe it's been hyped up a bit too much, but I think it's deserving. I really do. This movie stands alone. Like, it doesn't feel like your typical Marvel movie. It feels like a espionage, like, spy thriller and it's really, really freaking cool. And, the, and this is the first movie directed by the Russo brothers, I might add, who then went on to direct uh, Infinity War and Endgame and Civil War and all them. This was their first uh, taste of the MCU. And they knocked it out of the park. I, thought the act, I think the action sequences, as Megan touched on, are fantastic. The elevator scene, the highway fight, the ending on the helicarrier. Oh my gosh, it's just, it's so cool. It's so awesome. And uh, the Winter Soldier program, this is the first time we get to see the inner workings of that and how Hydra programmed all these people and how they uh, are able to brainwash them into committing these assassinations and how they cryogenically freeze them and how they wipe their memory. And it's just so horrible because like, you're just like, oh, God, this is like just so sickening to watch. But it's so cool because you're building all this lore. 
and Bucky is one of my all-time favorite MCU characters. So seeing him in this movie uh, as the Winter Soldier, like in full, like the Winter Soldier is really cool. So one of my all-time favorite characters, and it's just nice to see his, like, I guess not technically his beginning into the Marvel Universe, but mostly his beginning, because we got to see a little bit of him in the first Avenger, but then sadly, spoiler I guess, he falls off the train and is gone. But... It just—it's nice to open, open the doors for what he can do as a character. Yeah, agreed. Love it. If, it, if now, it, Sean, you could talk about Guardians if you want. Yeah, yeah. I'd mixed up my months. I'd mixed up my months. Uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier comes out in March, and <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy came out at the end of July. So it—it it was just or the August first in the U.S., July thirty-first in the United Kingdom. So. It was a midnight premiere, and I wasn't even thinking. I was like, oh, they came out the same year. I'm pretty sure this one came first. Uh, I was mm-hmm. completely wrong. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, boasted $773.3 million at the box office, and as I said p- previously, it was the probably weirdest bit of comic uh, material that Marvel could have made into a movie. Not even some dedicated comic fans knew who these guys were. They were really taking a shot in the dark with including these kinds of characters. And it has quickly become, from what I have heard from most peers I associate with when I when I bring up Marvel, when I bring up this movie, it's become some of people's most favorite. Totally. It's, uh, it was so... You, everyone always says Marvel has like this formula that they don't like or whatnot. It's like I first of all, I don't think they do. I think every movie there's you can't look at the Marvel universe and say they're all the same. When there's movies that are like Guardians of the Galaxy, and there's also movies like Winter Soldier and Black Panther, they're totally different. But this movie is flat out a comedy. Like it's just so different, but it works. And these characters, even though you don't know who they are. They just embrace how weird they are and how like weird this these all these planets are and the plot and the story. It's really, really like out there. It's just out there. It does such a great job making these characters so funny and so endearing, and you're able to attach them. Uh, you're able to make attachments to them, and it just works. This movie and it's also hysterical. I I still think this is the funniest MCU movie, the first Guardians. I just think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. This was a departure from form in a time where you didn't really need a departure from form. Like we we oh. we had just said that Winter Soldier was a more spy movie than superhero movie, and you could even argue that every movie in Phase Two up to this was slightly departing from form because Iron Man Three was a bit of uh, survival in the first part of it. it. He was undercover. He was in the middle of nowhere, slowly rebuilding the Iron Man suit then stripped of his Iron Man suit for a good part of the film. So it was it was less superhero versus the man behind the mask. And then we had Thor The Dark World, where it was arguably a buddy cop movie. And a very loose term of the buddy cop movie, but it, it, technically a buddy cop movie. And then we had Winter Soldier, which was borderline a James Bond film. And then we have this. This is spacefaring, comedic, almost like adventuring party levels of we're going to go, we're going to do the thing, and we're going to have a great time with it. 
Yeah, totally. I I, I think, and also uh, I think it's worth noting. Uh, well, James Gunn uh, directed and wrote the shit out of this movie. Like, oh my god, he 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 just he is the perfect writer director for this movie, and I'm really excited to see what he does with uh, the Suicide Squad remake that he's doing. Because um, he just does this ensemble team of superheroes vibe so well, and he the the, the implementation of the soundtrack and all the cool visuals and these characters they just they just play off each other so well the casting is borderline perfection as well i think that no one else can play drax besides dave batista the way he delivers his lines is hilarious every single time it never makes me never fails to make me laugh um chris pratt as star lord obviously so much charm um i prefer him in this movie than in the jurassic world movies i think that this is his signature franchise um and i it it it, it is the only Marvel property going into it that most people were just like they had no idea who these people were and they just fell in love with them and they found them wanting more almost immediately like I was as I left the theater of Guardians 1 and was just like I cannot wait for a sequel because I want to see more of these characters because it was just something so new and so original uh, Megan what are your thoughts Guardians is definitely one of the the definitely kind of lighter movies where it doesn't get into too too deep into that kind of stuff, but it arguably also has the best soundtrack. I mean, bringing <laughs> in the 80s music was, or 70s, 80s, 90s music was a touch that they haven't quite done with most of the movies, and I, I loved that. This, this movie was governed a lot by its score, in a very good way. It, there are several fantastic symphonic elements. There are also several fantastic uses of Quill's favorite pieces of music from when he was back on Earth. They weave together in such a wonderful way. And you can see moments where they use the music directly, like in the dance battle to save the universe. That was a fantastic non-musical, but also musical moment that led to the mm -hmm. defeat of Ronan the Accuser. And it was done in the goofiest, most lighthearted way that only the Guardians, and by extent Peter Quill, could achieve for a team such as this. It also, I will also say this note, I've always thought of Guardians of the Galaxy as one of the more heartfelt of the MCU so far. Because every MCU movie, whenever you get heartfelt moments, they're in the middle of all the action when someone dies, or they're, you're there in the middle of the action when someone's making up with someone, or they're in the middle of the action when people are scared. This just has good moments that are heartfelt, and you actually see... I'd say the most amount of emotion being shed consistently throughout the film by most of its characters. Even it's, it's made with it's made with love. It's absolutely. made with love. Even our antagonistic force that is Yondu for most of the film likes Quill, thinks of Quill as family. He's just hiding it behind the tough guy facade. Every bit of this movie is dripping in love and passion and bonding. Everyone knows each other whether that's antagonist or protagonist, or families that are starting to be put together. And it makes the antics so much better. It makes the music able to take advantage of those, uh, of those moments. It's so impressive what the Guardians are able to do by the end of the film before they rocket off to their next adventure. And it, it's a movie that speaks to every second of that well-deserved final blast-off. Yep, I agree. What a great, what a, what a risk, but what an amazing payoff. 
Because this movie was a risk. You can't tell me it wasn't. I, when I heard that the, they're making a movie about the Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm like, they're doing Guardians of the Galaxy before they're going to do Doctor Strange, before they're going to do Black Panther, before they're going to do Ant-Man. They're going to do these guys that no one's ever heard of. Like, what an incredibly big swing. And they knocked it out of the park. <laughs> and now, we get to Sean's favorite movie. I catch... Uh, surprisingly, I catch flack for saying, like, oh, one of my favorite Avengers movies is Age of Ultron. It is... I think that... I I like all of the Avengers brand movies. I like all the team-up movies. But there's something special about Ultron for me. I don't know what it is. Maybe... Just maybe it's uh, the, the, the aspect of pulling in uh, Ma- the Maximoff twins to a, a farther extent... Uh, maybe it's it's the bonding you actually see with Hawkeye. You actually get the first Hawkeye experiences as, as a deeper level character. You see all of these wonderful moments. You see a hero die point blank on screen after being shot. Uh, it's such a wonderful ride, and it it breaks a little bit of the rules sometimes. It breaks some of your expectations. They just they just execute. Uh, the Quicksilver on screen and it's brutal and it hurts. Yeah. You feel bad watching it. And there is a, a, a flow to this movie that shows the internal arcs of most of the characters going on. You see Tony's fear when he wants to create Ultron as a defensive robot. You see uh, Thor constantly questioning just things around him in a silent type way, especially after the dinner scene where uh, Steve Rogers starts to move and then stops moving Mjolnir, which only just causes Thor to doubt and and think things. And you can see it in his actions the entire movie. You see, you see Hawkeye, uh, Hawkeye, wow, Hawkeye get an entire arc during this entire the, during this film, and you see Hulk struggle with who he is. Every character that is introduced brings something unique and introspective to the table. Where the Avengers was this wonderful spectacle of getting all these big names together and having the Battle of New York, Age of Ultron was having an internal battle on the outside. And I like that. I think that's extremely interesting. Also, that being said, I just really love James Spader's Ultron. <laughs> just to switch yeah. gears from intelligent to, to just me being a nerd. That was the perfect character to play a robot that after spending an hour on the internet decided that all of humanity needed to die because i feel like that's what a highly intelligent ai would decide too if it had access to every strand of the internet and james spader pulls off that menacing vibe perfectly oh good point uh megan i'll let you go first and then i'll say what i have to say i have a lot of thoughts on this movie Um, i'm excited and questioning why it's your favorite, Sean, but we'll get to that <laughs> <laughs> later. Um, I, I mean, I there's a lot of things that are both good and bad about Age of Ultron. I, I, I like, I like the plot line of Age of Ultron. I love Ultron. I, he's one of the. I think he's one of my favorite villains, just because again, he spends one hour on the internet and then decides that all of life needs to be uh killed and that's that's very you know understandable i can get behind that 
after being on the internet for 19 years. But um, there's just certain certain subplots that just just make it like I have a very close friend who's a very big uh, Natasha Romanoff. God, I can't say her name. Natasha Romanoff fan, and um, the whole. Bruce and Natasha thing just it doesn't work it, it didn't click it didn't go anywhere I mean it didn't even end up going anywhere but it was just unnecessary it, it added it didn't add anything to the movie except maybe the whole like uh, Hulk, Hulk is having issues Natasha thinks she's a monster it's a whole thing it doesn't quite add up um giving Hawkeye family I, I, I guess I mean that was kind of nice it was nice to see um the actor who plays Laura, she's she's such a great actor, but that was just another plot that didn't really anything didn't quite make sense. I mean, I I like now after watching WandaVision, I have a better a better love for Wanda. But before WandaVision, you know, she wasn't she, she really wasn't my favorite. I don't know. They kind of just introduced them and they're like, here, have the twins, and then immediately killed one of the twins and then just kind of pushed one into invent into the Avengers and it it was it was a little rush but I mean like in overall I I, I enjoyed the movie it was good I liked seeing all the Avengers kind of have to go through the struggle of of you know seeing their worst fears and, and realizing what's going on but other than that there was just some things that just didn't didn't quite work I like Megan we're agreeing on a lot I totally agree with you on that um again Ultron is I, I actually rewatched this movie yesterday so I, this is like even fresher than Iron Man three. I rewatched it yesterday um, because again hadn't seen it in a very long time. And yeah, Ultron's great, and the character arcs are great. I totally agree with the Bruce and Natasha thing. I forgot it was a thing until when I started watching the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, they tried to like build up this romance thing, and it gets paid off kind of. I I don't in, think it was in, romance. I ha- I hear that all the time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off, but dude, I hear dude, that they, all they, the time. They literally. They literally kiss I like, know at the they, end of the movie. I know they do, but I, I I think that it was slovenly done as a romance, and they thought it was a romance. But I think what the better thing they should have gone for, at least what it, it what it I thought it was going to be, and then it, it semi wasn't, was it it should have felt like Big Brother, Little Brother, or surrogate father and lost kid and then well, they had the weird yeah. kissing scene and and yeah that is that is one of my complaints about the movie the only time that this gets paid off is in ragnarok when he sees the video of natasha and that's what tra- that's what triggers him to transform back into banner that's good but I'll, I'll get into this in the phase three episode that we do but i had a whole ass theory about how Endgame was going to play out with these two characters because of certain events and i'll get into that i'm very excited to share that but i didn't really like this upon rewatch because it just feels so out of place uh the hawkeye family thing i actually don't like totally mind uh i will agree it's a little out of left field but i don't know it it made hawkeye more relevant it gave him more of a uh more of like a purpose toward the end because he's fighting to maybe you know retire because he wants to be with his family so throughout the whole battle of sokovia you're just like i hope he makes it out because you know he wants to retire and everything uh the, the twins are okay quicksilver's death i kind of didn't really feel anything because you didn't get any time with him um he's just kind of like there and then he's 
dead. And I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, Wanda's fine. Vision is really cool. I like the creation of Vision scene, but also I just don't buy that Tony and Bruce would immediately build another Superbot after just building Ultron, but then they're just like, eh, screw it, let's just make him anyway. And I'm just like, really? You're gonna make another Superbot after you just created one that now wants to wipe out the planet? Okay. Like, I don't, I don't know. It seems kind of like, it seems kind of like ham-fisted in there. Like, it's just like, really? You're gonna build another one after you literally just caused that? Um... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's all right. I like the opening action sequence with the uh, in the snow when they're raiding the Hydra base. I forgot how cool that was. I'm like, wow, this is like a really good start to a movie. And then it kind of dips down a little bit. I like the scene where they're all trying to lift Thor's hammer, and then Ultron comes in and like is like, oh, I'm gonna kill everybody. That's pretty cool. Um, and obviously, Steve lifting the hammer that is a uh, a little tease for what's to come later on. But, uh, yeah, it's all right. I, I still think the first Avengers is a much better film. But upon rewatch, I do I do enjoy it. But, yes, I, I, along, the, along the same lines as Megan, there are problems with it. It just seems like they're trying to do, again, a little bit too much. Hmm. I understand that. I do completely understand that this is one of the messier of the movies. But I, instead of viewing it as messy, I've always preferred to think of it as a wonderful disaster that proved to be the groundwork again for such great things. I also, like, I, I like the, vi- I, I know that you said, like, the whole let's create another Ultron thing was weird with them making Vision. I think Vision was the perfect creation to come out of that, that lull in the activity. Vision No, was- I get that. I, I understand that. I'm just saying I don't buy that Tony and Bruce would once again go into making another superbot not knowing what's going to happen and they could have they could have easily created a second ultron and you, they would have just been right. like oh well, i guess we're i guess we're screwed now but like thankfully it worked out but i just don't buy that after all that's happened the two of them would just be like yeah let's try again like i feel like they would be like horrified to even remotely touch anything like that so i don't know that's my problem i'm fine with vision i'm not cool with like how they came to create him that's my problem I'll accept that. I'll accept that. Let's get on to... Go ahead. I I also don't think I can say much about um, this this being your favorite, because my favorite is Infinity War, and I feel like that's also not a, a, like, normal opinion. (laughs) My favorite's Infinity War, so... (laughs) It's it's either that or it's um, Civil War, but we'll get to that. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get but to now, before before we uh, head to Bloodbath, we do have one more movie. I don't think we need to spend too much time on it. At least I don't. I, it's Ant-Man. Um, I like Ant-Man. It's it's a fun like little comedy heist movie. Uh, I think Paul Rudd's funny as the character. Um, another one that I just don't really watch that much because I don't think it offers that much, sadly. But it's a fun movie. I think it's cool. I think it's fun that they made Ant-Man like a relevant character because... Ant-Man was always viewed as, like, a joke, and they made him into, like, a multi-million dollar franchise, so that's pretty cool. But, yeah, it's all right. Ant-Man, for me, was a really cool addition, because while I was a DC kid most of my early childhood, when I I do remember seeing a few of the animated Marvel uh, Universe movies way back in the day, when they were just making them as cartoons, and... Mm -hmm. I remember there was one movie that I watched that was essentially uh, a an Avengers movie, 
and I cannot tell you the plot. I am not going to be able to tell you the villain because I've not seen it in over a decade. But one of the coolest things about it was they had the ensemble of Captain America, Iron Man, they had Hulk, they had Thor. But for some reason, instead of Hawkeye and Black Widow, they had Ant-Man and the Wasp as the other two characters that were part of that Avengers team. And they were the best parts of the movie. And I remembered that being a kid, and then I saw Ant-Man come out, and I thought, that's awesome! I want to go see it. And it was everything I wanted it to be and more. And I will also say that, while this is not one of the more spectacular ones, it's very down-to-earth. It, it's reminiscent of some of Phase 1's level of action. I will also say that, like Guardians, I think this one was written with heart. This one shows passion. It shows love baked into it. It's about a father trying to be the father his daughter wants. He, he wants to be his daughter's hero. That's it. He just happens to be really gifted at the criminal arts. And that turns into his skills as Ant-Man. He's only doing this for his daughter, and that's incredible. Yeah. Megan, any final thoughts? I, n- no. I, Ant-Man was a pretty good movie. I enjoyed it, and that's that's about it. Yeah. I like Paul Rudd. He's fun. Alrighty, so that's the six in phase two. Man, phase three is gonna be a long episode. There's eleven movies in that. Yeah, one. our our guest for that is gonna have to stick around. Uh, yeah, or we'll just have can- to like speed run past the ones that we don't like. Yeah. So she asked. Alrighty. She asked to do it. She was like, "Oh, if you're doing it, I want to do phase three. But uh. Alrighty. Alrighty. So we've reached that time. It's time for. Season two's first bloodbath uh, segment. I will once again be judging as Megan has opted to face Sean. Sean looking for his first ever bloodbath win today, yeah, along with Megan. If it happens Sean today, it will only have taken 15 episodes. Yep, because <laughs> I always beat him. But for those of you that do not know how bloodbath works, just a quick refresher. I'm going to ask these two seven different questions relating to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Phase two, also some phase one as well, since we already covered that. Not a lot of phase three in here. And we are going to ask, I'm going to ask each of them for their answers. Whoever I hear first will defend their answer first. Some of these are this or that questions. Some of these are open-ended. So feel free to pick whatever you'd like and make sure you can defend your choices and we'll post them on our instagram story to see who will be the winner it's a best of seven are you both ready yes i believe so Alrighty. whoever i hear first will go first however we are on discord so it might be a bit delayed for me so i apologize but without further ado here is the first question Obviously, Marvel movies get us very hyped up. We're always very excited to see what Marvel has up its sleeve. I want you to tell me what Marvel movie had the best trailer. Age of Ultron. This could be phase one, two, or three, by the way. This could be any, any, any Oh, I thought movie. we were sticking to that. Uh, I'm st- you know what? I'm going to still, I'm gonna still double, I'm gonna double down on Ultron. And Megan, we'll... oh, okay, all right. So, Sean, I heard you first. We'll get, we'll do about a minute or so for each answer, and then we'll go on to the next one. So, Sean, you're up first with Age of Ultron. Ultron's trailer, and uh, I've not seen the trailer in a little bit, but I remember how the the energy it gave. 
it was neat because it was the first time you saw all the heroes back together after the success of the first Avengers. You saw snippets of action. You saw also the dinner party scene. So you got to not just see... You, you got a glimpse of, we're just going to see our heroes, yeah, doing the big thing, saving the world, but we're also going to see the, the personal side of them all together. We've never seen them just hanging out other than the end credits, the shawarma scene from Avengers. And once again, we're seeing them hang out. And then you see the fears on everyone's faces. You see everyone reflect. You see the teasers for the characters that are to come. And you hear Spade's voice as Ultron. And it's so good. And it makes you so excited. Because Ultron in the comics was a wonderful arc. It was a wonderful villain that people who studied the comics knew about. People were excited to see that villain. Age of Ultron reminded us of everything we loved of the movies that led up to it, and especially all throughout Phase 1, before you even got to the theaters, so you were excited to see what the next chapter for the Avengers team was. Alright, I like it. Megan, you are up next, whenever you're ready. Okay, so it, the Civil War trailer, you know, it starts with showing, like, Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, in, in the Cairo Free, Cyro Free, I forget how you pronounce it. And it, it just, it shows all the things, like, you know, what happened with Sokovia, you know, it shows the Avengers sitting in this meeting room trying to figure out what's going on, what's happening, how are we going to fix this, you know, we just had all of this happen, and now we have to deal with the consequences. It, it's showing them dealing with the consequences, and, and it's just a good lead-up to, you know, seeing how it kind of divides them. And also, I, I, I hope this counts... When I say this, um, the little snips of like the characters when it says "unite" or "united," no, what is it? "Divided we fall, united we stand." I might be saying that wrong. Yeah, um, I think I, I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, those those little clips and those little trailers of like, and then you got to pick, you know, Team Cap or Team Iron Man. It was just so so cool and so good and you got to it, it showed a different part of the instead of being a happy family Avengers team you got to see how they're slowly starting to divide themselves I like that argument very good alright so good. also Civil War in my opinion the most important Marvel film story wise but we will get to that in episode 3 of the podcast alright Great first question. On to question number two, and again, whoever I hear first will defend their answer first. We already discussed that Guardians of the Galaxy reinvented the Marvel Cinematic Universe in what it could do, and one of the ways it did it was in its soundtrack. I want you to tell me what was the best song from the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. Oh, man. Um... Ah, that's... That's hard to pick. Uh, the Marvin Gaye song. Ain't No Mountain High Enough, I believe you're referring to? No, not that one. Oh, well, that's Marvin Gaye. <laughs> oh, maybe I'm thinking. It, I want to go with, oh my, um... If you need to pull out your phones, we can just cut this out. If you need to pull out your phones... No, no, we're, we're doing this, because I'm trying to think of the name. Um, it's uh, It's the title song. It's the it's it's the first thing Peter Quill dancing in. It's um why can't I think of the name of the song? I can hear it in my head. Hey, hey. You're thinking of Come and Get Your Love. That's it, Come and Get Your Love. I'm I could not remember the the name of the song. It's Come and Get okay. Your Love. Okay. I'm gonna play hooked on a feeling. Yes, alright. 
Sean, I heard you first. Go for it. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say that it's it's come and get your love. Be- I I certainly think there are better songs just by themselves on the awesome mix, but come and get your love was a perfect introduction. I'm gonna take the song in the context it's used. Peter Quill alone dancing his way across the planet's surface about to pull off another heist singing into his Walkman singing Come and Get Your Love he has no regard for the threat he's walking into he has no regard for the environment around him he full on kicks a womp rat at some point and he's jamming out to Come and Get Your Love he's on top of the world he's feeling himself and that's the first scene you get out of this movie every other Marvel movie begins with date and location and then brief fight scene or sweeping shots of Asgard or other amazing epic scenes where like the 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 soundtrack is far away and just kind of hums whatever characters being introduced theme they're always these oh he's back at it again on top of the rooftop ready to fight more crime vibe and then there's this the, the music in this scene, the 80s touch, Quill's disregard for danger, makes that song, I think, one of the most memorable of the awesome mix. And I think it makes it the greatest moment when played tangentially to the film. Alrighty, Megan, you have Hooked on a Feeling. Go for it. Yes, um, Hooked on a Feeling. Um, you can never go wrong with the opening Uga Chaka that is like one of the best like, yeah you you automatically know what song that is the minute you hear it going Uga Shaka. and it also that scene i believe is when you kind of first get to really know their names meet who they are because it goes like it it's when they like all got uh like arrested and so you should like you know you see gamora and she like looks like she's ready to kill you and then like rocket and you know Fruit and Peter Quill when he's doing the little, you know, wind-up middle finger. And it just kind of gives you a, a, a peek and a glance into their personalities. And it's also just such a good song. Yeah. Also, uh, harkening back to the first question, that song was featured in the trailer. Alrighty. So, good question two. On to question three. This one is a little bit different. Obviously, Marvel characters, we'd all love it if they were real people that we could get to know and love and interact with. I want you to hypothetically think that you are going on a road trip and you have two seats in your car. Pick any two Marvel characters to accompany on your road trip and tell me why yours is most fun. James Barnes and uh, Sam Wilson. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> that, those, are good, those are good choices. Uh, I get two car seats? And it can be from any phase? It could be. From, I mean, I, Megan picked uh, two from Phase Two, but they could. I would prefer it if it were the two phases we've already done. But if you want to have someone for Phase Three, go for it. I am a. Uh, actually, you know what? I have my answer. I want. Uh, I want Scott Lang and I want Jimmy Woo. <laughs> Alrighty. So Megan, I heard you first. You're going with uh, Bucky and Falcon. Go for it. Yes. Um. Obviously, we got to see them in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and just how you know, kind of funny they are together and how well they work together and how they were able to you know sit down and have a a serious chat but also like make fun of each other and they have these quitty 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 wits like (laughs) witty you know quicks i can't speak today apparently 
um, that they're just able, they're just funny, and I think it would just be so much fun. And you know, the, the, the car scene from Civil War, can you move your seat up? No. Like, imagine that in a car for however many hours, that would be amazing. I love that answer. That's so good. All right, Sean, you have Ant-Man and Jimmy Woo. Go for it. I I know it's a weird pick, but their relationship <laughs> and the character arc that they kind of have, like the subplot of their friendship they have in Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp is so enjoyable. Look, I, I don't know what it is, and ev- everyone who's seen Woo on screen can tell you what it is. He is just a delight of a human being. He is the nicest... I think he's one of the nicest civilian class characters that we've seen. And every scene you get... You see him working on the card trick. And then seeing the card trick pay off in, in WandaVision. I, I say what you will about WandaVision. I think one of my personal favorite moments is still when he flicks the business card. And yep. it shows the character arc. Imagine that kind of dedication and enjoyment in the little things on a road trip, and then pair that with Scott Lang's wonderful sense of humor, ample sarcasm, and general ability to get into mischief, and you're going to have the equivalent of a quirky summer road trip movie. You're just going to be getting into trouble in every town you stop in, and you're always going to get away just by the skin of your teeth. Wu is going to try and explain things like, alright, it's a big misunderstanding, and then Scott Lang is just going to be like, yeah, it was a misunderstanding because we don't like you, and we're going to run away. We're going to get into trouble all the way across the United States, and that's what I want. The lighthearted, ornery fun that that combination could give the whole ride of close-up magic tricks i like it all right i'm down for that those are really good answers guys that was awesome i'm very very happy with both of those and i think that that one's gonna be a tough one for our audience to pick on instagram all right this next question is a this or that question so whoever i hear answer first gets that answer and then whoever didn't answer will get the other one by default which one is better the battle of new york or the battle of sokovia battle of sokovia Okay, on my end, I heard Megan first. Crap. It could be... It, it might be different on Sean's end, which is what we're recording on, so I'm sorry no, if the I, audio I, had I, Sean. Cl- I clearly heard Megan first. Okay, Megan said Sokovia first, which means, Sean, you are going to be arguing for the Battle of New York. Megan, whenever you're ready, you can begin. Sokovia was just such a good battle in that you had all of the Avengers, you had the Maximoff twins, you got to see their powers... You got to see, you know, Hawkeye more. You got to see, you know, Captain America and Black Widow working together and Iron Man trying to, you know, and and the Hulk trying to kind of like, you know, secure this, make sure it's not going to get far enough, high high enough that it's going to flip. And it's just, it's so, I, I, I love that, that battle so much because you have all of these people that they're trying to save and you're trying to get them off the cliff and you know you have cars falling off and you know Steve Rogers grabbing them and pulling them back up and and it's just such a, a, a little, 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 wow <laughs> um such a, a good scene and you get to see all of the Avengers in in their glory and then you have to see them also facing Ultron and I just such a such a good scene all right, I like it. Sean, even though it's not the one you wanted to defend, you have the Battle of New York whenever you're ready. The Battle of New York is the first instance where you not only see the team get together and do their thing, 
but you see the otherworldly threat that they are capable of handling and are destined to handle in the future. The Sokovia battle is great, but like the rest of that movie, it is messy. There's about 20 different things happening at the same time, and everyone is confused, everyone's trying to, to do their best, we have characters die. The Battle of New York is clean-cut, and everyone is focusing on the same objectives, and everyone gets a spotlight for their skills. Not for their panic, but for their skills. The wonderful team-up moves, the, the circle shot, the iconic circle shot of the team getting together and all readying themselves against the oncoming hide. It is an amazing moment and an amazing battle, which is only made even better on the back half with them apprehending Loki. Loki's connection to the Battle of New York ties together all of the antagonist energy that came from the first phase. So you, you truly do see the entirety of your protagonist, which you have grown to love, and your antagonist, which you love to hate, have a, a head moment in the Battle of New York. It provides the perfect closure, it provides the perfect amount of action, and it shows chemistry between everyone, villains and heroes alike. Uh, since Sean got to say a little bit about why his was better, Megan, do you have anything on why uh, the Battle of New York is not good? Do you have anything to counter Sean's argument? If so, go for it. Um, the Battle of New York is good, but there's just... Uh... Okay, I actually can't say much, because I, I, I like both battles a lot. I just think Sokovia kind of is more interesting in that, you know, you have, you also have these Avengers who, at this point, are like, oh, you know, at, at this point we're probably going to die, but I'm still going to fight to my very last breath, just so that I know that everyone is safe. Okay. All right. Very good. Sean, that was a really good argument for something that you didn't want to defend, so... Well, pretty good. you should have a good argument for the other side at any time. <laughs> yeah, no, they, were, they were both solid options. It was just a matter of which one you prefer. All right, so question five. You've both been doing extremely well. This is going to be a very, very good one. Which Marvel character would be would get you the most excited if you matched with them on Tinder? Buggy Barnes. <laughs> this, I, all right, of all the questions I didn't see coming, uh... Oh boy. I I don't hmm which Marvel character? Just any uh, hmm I'm stumped. Uh I would I know it's I know it's a uh, probably an, a weirder choice, but I'm I'm going to say Wanda Maximoff. All right. By the way, you can thank uh, you both can thank our unofficial third host Connor Hoffman for this question. Yeah, I saw um, that. Kind of like... All right. So we have Bucky Barnes versus Wanda. Uh, Megan, I heard you first by a very long by a very long wide margin because Sean just kept laughing. So Megan, whenever you're ready. Um, I feel like I don't have to say much because have you seen him? Have you looked? <laughs> have you looked at James Buchanan Barnes? Have you looked at? If we're going to include Sebastian Stan, I mean, my God, the man is beautiful. And he's just, I mean, he's, uh, I could just go on about how pretty he is and like his hair and the metal arm. You're going to tell me you're going to swipe left on the metal arm. All right. <laughs> I, and, um, 
I mean, he's he's so nice. I mean, you saw him in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier talking to the nice lady from the bar. You know, he's ready. He's single and ready to mingle, and so am I. So I think it just works. All right. (laughs) Sean, you're up with Wanda. I have no right to compete with Vision. Let's just be real. Uh, But what, what makes me, like excited to think of oh like a no a, a, a date with Wanda Maximoff is because yes she has a lot going on we know that but there is something about her scenes in WandaVision where she is just trying to live a normal life that actually make her a really appealing person she's uh, she she does the best she can as a wife. She is this enjoyable person. She tries to go out of her way for other people. At the core of who she is, despite all of the trauma and, and hardships that she has had, there's a good person underneath of that. Someone who wants to do the right thing by others. Someone who can love someone deeply. Someone who can be this partner to go through the chaotic world that is the Marvel Universe with. And that's that's someone who I believe in this kind of chaotic world if Wanda is, you know, as we see her move forward in the MCU, able to come into herself a bit more, I think that that would make a very good date with a a realized Wanda Maximoff. All right. I I, I figured that question would lead to some interesting arguments, and it sure did, so thank you both. All right, question number six. Now we're back into reality. We're not trying to, we're not going to have another question like that, most likely. All right. So obviously we just went over the six movies in Phase 2, which are Iron Man 3, Thor 2, Winter Soldier, Guardians, Ultron, and Ant-Man. I would like you to tell me, between those six movies, what was the best new character that was introduced? Mm. Guardians of the Galaxy, Groot. Alright, we have Groot for Megan. Sean? Age of Ultron's Vision. All right, we have Groot versus Vision. No one said um, Falcon. No one said Ant-Man. Interesting. All right. Uh, Megan, you were up first. Groot, go ahead. Um, so Groot, I mean, obviously, in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, we got to meet Big Groot, and he was just a lovable character. You know, he sacrificed himself to save the rest of the Guardians with the scene and the we are Groot and the I am Groot. And he's just he's just adorable, you know. And then in the Guardians of Galaxy two, we get Baby Groot, and we get to see him grow into a teenager in the rest of the Infinity War and Endgame. And he's just he's just a little lovable character that's that's doesn't have any. He's just he's just a tree. He's just a tree that says I am Groot, and that's just something you need sometimes. You know, he he he's good at he's, he's a good fighter. I mean, Baby Groot gave the uh, handle for um. Thor's new uh, axe, uh, Storm Stormbreaker, and you know he has he's 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 just a little. I mean he's just a break from all the heartache and the sadness and the fighting and the Avengers, and he's just a little tree that gives you a lot of happiness. I like that answer. Very good, Sean. You have Vision. From the moment of Vision's, albeit confusing, birth. Vision proved who he was in his first scene and has had dozens of brilliant moments to further define that character. But 
it just that first scene alone, of course he's going to strike out at the Avengers because he's scared. He's just been brought to life and he has all of the internet in his head. I'd be scared too. Um, but when he takes that moment to stop, when he's thrown against the window and he looks and sees the city of New York and thinks on what he has just learned from the internet and what he sees, the beautiful skyline, he turns and says, I apologize, I was just a bit afraid. He makes his case for not siding with Ultron. He makes his case for why the Avengers are good. And he just absentmindedly hands Thor his hammer when he says, we need to go and stop him. From that moment on, you know that you have a character that is thoughtful, who is pure of heart, who will do whatever is necessary to protect those around him that he cares about. And you see this time and time and again. I think that... My, one of my personal favorite scenes in all of the MCU is the confrontation between the last Ultron bot and Vision. Two, ro two robots debating the ethics and philosophies of humanity alone in the woods. And Vision proves his wisdom. He proves his wisdom in such a way that is so profound. He's the first character that comes along that makes you really think about the grand effects of the Avengers in the MCU. And then you get him later in WandaVision. And yes, it's not the real Vision for most of it, but he is made as a copy of Vision, a perfect recreation, and he's smart enough as a copy to learn he's a copy, to understand what he is, and to understand why he was created out of Wanda's grief and love. A character who is that intelligent, but still cares about someone like Wanda who's leading herself on a path of self-destruct, and cares to, to not only agree with Ultron, but empathize with him, even though he knows he has to destroy him, and his view is wrong. And just absentmindedly will lift Thor's hammer to hand it to him out of kindness. That character proves the depth that it possesses, and the great things that he could have done. Alright, I like it. Final question. This has been a fantastic bloodbath, by the way. You should both be very proud of these answers. Uh, and Megan, fantastic debut performance. But we still have one more question to go. And we usually like to ask this question on EIF. I believe we asked this for one of the Star Wars ones or something. So, we're taking Phase 2 in its entirety. And we have six movies. But, I want you to think of and pitch me a seventh. Add a movie to Phase 2. Adam and this and this does not mean take a movie from phase three and put it in phase two instead make a brand new movie that we don't have and insert it in phase two hmm. add a movie to phase two we have Iron Man 3 Thor the Dark World Captain America the Winter Soldier Guardians of the Galaxy Avengers of Ultron Ant-Man I I think if I were to fit any movie into Phase 2, taking a character, I would want to see I would want to see an Adam Warlock movie as the final film. Okay. Megan? Hard one. I honestly think I would want maybe a Black Widow and Hawkeye duo movie. Ooh, okay. I'll let you know. I have my answer, but I'll I won't say it now. Um, all right. So we have a Adam Warlock movie, 
and we have a Black Widow Hawkeye movie. All right, Sean, whenever you're ready, take it away. So, the whole thing with Marvel, what they like to do on the ends of their phases is they like to include something that leads forward, something that hints to the future, something that belonged almost like it felt like it should have been made towards the end, but you're seeing it now, and you question why you see it now. And I don't think I'm alone when I say that I want a Warlock movie. And Adam Warlock is a powerhouse of a Marvel character. For, For those who have no clue who Adam Warlock is, Warlock is a artificial human that was created by a group called the Enclave, and their goal was to create the perfect human being, the future of human evolution. Um, and they get, they ended up creating a being that was so much more powerful than they expected that he just escaped. And upon escaping, went to Asgard. He encountered Thor. He almost was seduced by the darker powers of Asgard until Thor, like, Thor was able to stop him, nearly destroy him, and then as he regenerated, because that's power he had, Thor was able to convince him to be a better individual, to be a, a good force in the universe. Uh, he not only became an ally of Thor, an ally of Asgard, he also carried the soul gem for a period of time as a guardian of it. He was Earth's champion for a period of time. He stopped the, the Magus, which is another kind of Dormammu-level uh, character that served Thanos, which that would have been a nice Phase 3 add-on movie. Warlock becomes this individual capable of standing toe-to-toe with Thanos, and I think that Warlock would have been maybe a bit of a better character to see as the addition of, this is someone who's powerful who could box with Thanos, versus seeing, you know, Captain Marvel do it because Captain Marvel never does it in the comics. Warlock is the movie that we should have gotten, and I want to put it in Phase 2, because it would give us the expectations leaning forward. Alrighty. I like that. Megan, you have a Black Widow and Hawkeye movie. Go for it. So, in, obviously, in Age of Ultron, we got to see, we got a glimpse of Hawkeye's life. You know, he has a wife, kids, a farm in the middle of nowhere. We also get a glimpse into... Natasha's past and we get to see where she talks about the Red Room and where they, you know, made it so she can't have kids and how it, like... And, and you know, also when um, Wanda goes into her mind and she's back in the Red Room and they're showing her all of this. And, uh, you know, if we go back to Avengers when, you know, they do the little... This is, this is, this is like, Budapest all over again. And, you know, you get these little glimpses into their life, but you don't really get to know them as much as you could if they had a movie. And you obviously, you know, they're kind of everybody, they're friends, you know, they they started in, in S.H.I.E.L.D. together and such, or, you know, I think it was Hawkeye found Black Widow. I don't quite remember what it was, but it would be just such a nice way to, you know, have their characters be a little stronger, you know, get to know them a little more. I mean, we've seen, we've got three Iron Man movies, we've gotten two Captain America movies. We also, in The Winter Soldier, got a a better glimpse of Natasha's character and how she works. And, but it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't her movie. It wasn't enough. And so if you just give them, I mean, even one, one movie, 
you know, it, it just to further their character, give them more depth, see how they are, what they're like, and how, you know, stuff like Age of Ultron and how the Battle of Sokovia and the Battle of New York is affecting them, as we get to see all the other characters have to deal with this, it would just be, I think it would work really well. Really, really good answers all around. All right, that concludes Bloodbath. Great job. Fantastic, fantastic Good questions yep. as well. Thank you. Yes, uh, these will be posted the Monday after this episode's release, uh, one per day, and I will be keeping tally as to who is winning each one. It is first to four. Obviously, it's a best of seven series. Great job to both of you. Before we go, we do want to quickly just rattle off a ranking list of these six movies that we just spent a lot of time talking about. Uh, Megan, if you want to start as our guest, if you're ready, uh, you can just rattle off your list from six to one. Yes, so six being the best or six being the worst? Six being your least favorite. Six being Okay, so obviously six is Thor The Dark World. That's a no-brainer. Um, five is going to have to be... I want to say Ant-Man. It wasn't bad. But there just wasn't that much to it. We got Scott Lang, and that was nice. That's about it. Um, after that, I will go Iron Man 3. Also a good movie. Also didn't do too much. It was just another Iron Man movie. Then, Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy. And number one, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Very, very nice. Uh, I'll read off mine next. It's very similar, actually. I also have Thor the Dark World in last place. Uh, yeah, we've pretty much covered it already. Five, Ant-Man. Better than Thor The Dark World, but still kind of not a movie that sticks with you. Uh, number four, this is where our lists vary. Number four, I have Age of Ultron, and three, I have Iron Man 3. I like Iron Man 3 a bit more than Ultron, because Iron Man 3, I feel like, is a much more cohesive movie. And even though Age of Ultron has all the action sequences, I think at its core, Iron Man 3 has more to say, and it it executes on a higher level. Two, I also have Guardians, and one, I also have Winter Soldier. Uh, those two movies, man. 2014. What a great year for the MCU. But yeah, that's my list. Sean, take us home. My list uh, comes in the form of Thor the Dark World being last, of course. Um, from Thor the Dark World, I'm going to put Iron Man 3 there. Uh, above that, I'm going to put uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. I'm then Whoa! Whoa! What? Wow, at number four. Holy crap. Four? <laughs> Sean, that hurt. Oh, that I hurt. like it. I like this film. It's just... I, I, I'm just no. saying. <laughs> all right, all right, wow. all right. Oh, the first real shocker of the MCU trilogy that we're doing here. Because last episode, last episode, Sean and I's lists were practically identical. That's yeah. like the first big shakeup. Wow. I like this movie, but I just like the other three more. Um, Damn, like right, in right. in this lineup, in this lineup, I like the other three. Okay, no, your your um, your your opinion your opinion is valid. So it's your opinion. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so four is is Winter Soldier. Uh, three is Ant Man. Two is Guardians of the Galaxy, and one is Age of Ultron. Wow, you really like Age of Ultron? I do like Age of Ultron. I I will say, like in the grander scope of the MCU, I think I like Guardians of the Galaxy more. But in terms of just putting these six on what I liked going through them, I'm going to put Guardians of the Galaxy at second. I'm going to put Age of Ultron above it. Alrighty, very good. Well, that concludes our Phase 2 episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I had 
I had I had a lot of fun. This was this was very nice to me. Uh, and just remember, no matter how crazy life gets, everything is fine.